Alright, welcome to the inaugural edition of the Guys Nation podcast. Some of you might have heard us on our earlier endeavors with Guys Nation Wrestling podcast. Uh, now we want to do some some stuff about everything else, you know? We got uh, girls and TV and beer and all sorts of things we could talk about that we don't talk about on the wrestling show. You can tell by the intro there, we're going to talk about some True Detective uh, I'm John, joined by the sole proprietor and website overseer of Guys Nation. Uh, all around, all around uh, interesting fellow is uh, something you should have added to that uh, nice lead-in, but I appreciate it. Uh, a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Uh, I don't know about scholar. Uh, not, not so good at the reading, although, as we might mention tonight... I did read a book for the first time in 2014. <laughs> Just so happens to be by a man who created a very intriguing television show, something that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, uh, True Detective has kind of been the talk of the town for a while now. Uh, well, about eight weeks to be exact. Uh interesting show and in the fact that we just get one set of characters for this eight episodes. And uh, that's it. You know, it's almost like a mini-series. You know, um, I, I think it's going to be something that uh, even as we get into next season, even if it's just as good as this one, even if it's better, I think a lot of people are going to miss Rust and Marty and Maggie, the Yellow King. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you get, grow real attached to those characters. Uh, you know, in particular, Rust and Marty. I mean, really, the show was 90% them. And, uh, in fact, I saw... And I thought it was odd, you know, this this final episode that starts off with the perspective of uh, Errol. It's, and I, I saw uh, there's a little clip on YouTube that HBO posts after every episode just discussing, you know, some behind-the-scenes of the episode that just aired. And uh, the creator, uh, Nick, says that, you know, that's the first time we really see anything from somebody else's perspective. It's, a, it's always been from Rust and Marty. And so that part of... The, the last episode is really the first time we've ever seen anything else. Yeah, and it was uh, a real real interesting start to the show. Um, it was really kind of creepy. Yeah, um, I mean, talk about hitting the ground running. It was like, I think I sent you a message because you were going to start a little later than me that it's weird already, you know, two minutes. Yeah, and, and not to say that they didn't lay the groundwork for a, a very creepy... Uh, final episode, but uh, you know, right off the bat, it really gave you a feel to the uh, the world that you know Arrow lives in, and and you know, kind of the conditions that he he and his wife or whoever, whatever her relationship to him is. I know they talked a little bit about that more in the episode, but uh, yeah. Really well, first, cute. first before we start discussing scenes, uh, I mean, what's your overall? You know, rating, which impression? I mean, what you know, what comes to mind when when you think about reviewing this? Um, I, the show as a whole is something that I I would feel like you kind of have to rate. I know that you know on on different websites where you can rate things, they you know sometimes they let you go episode by episode, but uh, the show as a whole is is ten out of ten. Um, I, I you probably agree or something similar, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, they, they gave us a little bit of everything. I mean, they gave us um, certainly lots of great dialogue, lots of great scenes. They gave us a great mystery. They gave us a lot to talk about. They gave us some women in there. Um, just about everything. Yeah, you know, I, I well, certainly being able to see uh, Alexandra Daddario in the flesh uh, was a huge bonus of the show. You said Trident <laughs> but, uh, Eddie. But, um, yeah, I mean, the characters in particular uh, are the biggest bonus or, or takeaway, I would think, from the show is that they just, they're so well-created, well-crafted, well-acted, um, you know, which, which certainly certainly makes it kind of sad that we're not going to see them again. I, I mean, I guess they will survive, so maybe someday we will. But, um, but yeah, I think ultimately that's, you know, the story, I think some other shows have maybe had a stronger story like Breaking Bad or Sopranos. Um, but, you know, of course, those shows had several more seasons to work with. Um, so this one, you know, when I think of this show, I think of the characters um, and just kind of the philosophies that they were tossing around. Right, and, and they did that all the way up until the end. You know, all the way up until the very last line of the season, very last couple of lines of the season, very philosophical, but they do it in a way that is easy to understand. And you brought up a couple other shows, and, you know, from one perspective, it is kind of sad to see the worlds of Breaking Bad come to an end, you know, that, that kind of thing. But Breaking Bad, I'm not going to say it went too long. I'm not going to say that it had, you know, a season too, mu too many. But if they could have cut out 20% of the episodes on on Breaking Bad, it might have been more tight. You know, it might have might have had a better pace. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like maybe for True Detective, you know, maybe we would like to see another season, but if we got another season of it, would they keep Marty and Rust around for a third season, and would that even be worth it? Yeah, I hear you. I mean, there's certainly problems with overdoing it on shows. Um, a few that come to mind right away are like weeds. Um, they went into like eight seasons, I think. Yeah. Uh, and they could absolutely could have told the story that needed to be told within three or four. Yeah. Um, and I hear Dexter also is kind of suffering that fate. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously the tighter production, uh, definitely has benefits and, you know, anybody that wants to see it now, uh, could sit down in one day for, seven and a half hours or so and, and power through it. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and anyone out there who's listening, I don't I don't know why you'd be listening if if you hadn't seen True Detective all the way through, but um, you know, anybody who I encounter who asks about it, I, I would highly recommend sitting down and watching the whole thing, you know, do it in the span of a week. I mean that would be be a great you know, great endeavor. Um, oh, yeah. just don't do it right before you go to bed. Right. Get some nightmares. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the episode itself, and and as you already mentioned, uh, the creepiness of the of the opening. I, don't know, I guess it was about five ten minutes uh, of showing, you know, the environment that Arrow lives in with a, what looked to be, I guess they said was his half sister at the end. Yeah, they said, uh, but she was at least his half sister, which was creepy in itself. Yeah, and and when they were. Uh, when she got on his lap, I don't know, I would, would call that cuddling, I, whatever they were doing, canoodling. 
Um, I was I was trying to I was racking my brain because I thought you know maybe this is his sister, maybe this is like his mother or or an aunt or something. You know, it's like right. I thought for sure they were probably related. Um, and somebody online I think put it put it nicely when they said there was almost like two children that had just been left alone for yeah. so long. Yeah, and the one of the creepy things that I caught was he says to her, he says something something to the effect of, tell me about Grandpa. And yeah. she kind of goes on to say something about they were alone, he caught her in the field or something like that. Yeah. And that's when he starts uh, cupping her downstairs, as mm. I might like to uh, might like to say, you know, dipping into the honeypot a little bit. And yeah, that that sequence is definitely quite possibly the most uncomfortable I've ever been watching something. Yeah, yeah, it, it uh, that was certainly one of the creepier parts of that opening scene. Which says a lot, especially given what we saw out in the barn. Um, the guy tied to the bed in the room with all the writing on the walls. Which part creeped you out more? Um, the, that part. I mean, the, with the with the half sister. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't wait for it to be over. It's <laughs> like God. I hope this scene ends soon. Yeah, and that says a lot because when when he was out in the shed and the guy was laid out there, I don't know if the guy was alive or dead. We didn't get like, a good look. Yeah. Yeah, at that point, so. But you have to think that he was probably dead given that he was, his mouth was sewn shut. Right. Which to me is is one of the worst things I can imagine. Um, I guess outside of what they talk about in a human centipede or what people talk about with human centipede. Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was, and, and, and it perfectly sets up kind of the, the world he's been living in that we didn't know about for sure yet, you know? And it, so I thought it was, it was an interesting choice that they made to just go ahead and in the first five, 10 minutes, throw it in our faces that, like, yeah, this is definitely the guy, you know? Yeah. Like, they didn't waste any time with further investigation. They just got right to it. In fact, I thought they moved pretty quickly, like, you know, right after that, as they're in the detective office and they they find the right clues and and boom, they cut to him at the bar, giving all the information to the, the sniper. Yeah. Um, they just really, you know... I thought it was very fast-paced. It was an interesting way that they decided to do it. Did, did it take you out of the moment at all when Errol was there talking to his sister woman and he starts speaking in a British accent? Yeah. I think Yeah, I think that's just to kind of signify how delusional he is, you know, that he has multiple characters in his mind and... I think it's all it's it's one of the many many things that they do throughout the show to give you an idea of the environment or you know insight into somebody you know like just the way that for instance the way that uh Marty's daughter is acting out you yeah. know people want to connect that to 
her being abused or something like that. But the reality is it's showing what Marty's life is like, you know? Right. It doesn't have to connect to the overall narrative. And so him having a a second voice, you know, I think is really just kind of showing you how screwed up he is. Right. And I, I think one of the strong points of this show is that if they would have taken this narrative, just A to Z, and they would have told it, instead of over the span of eight episodes, if they would have taken 24 episodes or 26 episodes, you know, give it two seasons to let it all unfold, um, they could have given us more character development. They could have delved into a couple of red herrings here and there. But I think one of the interesting things is that you go online and you see everyone's different theory on what different things mean and whatever, and... You know, Nick Pizzolatto, uh, you know, he, he mentioned a couple times that there are no big swerves yeah. in this. There's, you know, it's, it's, it's about character interactions, and they gave you a lot of character exposition and, and built up the characters a lot through a few lines of dialogue or, you know, little, little things dropped here and there, and it really lets you build other seasons you know, other other content in your head. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, maybe I would have liked another season, but, you know, all in all, I, I just, you have to applaud the, the great job that they did in setting everything up. Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, with the Internet culture the way it is now, there's just so many opportunities to dissect things. You know, people want to talk to others that are interested in it, and chances are... You might not have too many friends that are into a show, and so you turn to the internet to have your discussions. Right. And that just kind of, it's like a feedback loop, you know? People are just, somebody says one thing, and then it gets picked up and said somewhere else, and then it just keeps snowballing to the point where you have this latticework of theories uh, that really are pointless, Um you know, like the the whole, and it really was obvious from the beginning, if you thought about it, that the whole show was more about true detective. You know, it's more about the two guys. It's not right, right. It's not called the Yellow King. Yeah. So yeah, I I think I think that's good. It's a good point about uh, you know how things evolve and grow in terms of fandom and and you know people having discussions online and. <clears throat> presenting theories, I'll be really interested to see, because I know there's a lot of people who probably have HBO who probably didn't watch it. There are a lot of people out there who um, they might hear a show is good and they might just skip it for a while and then, you know, season two or season three comes around and they say, okay, let me see what all the hype's about. Mm-hmm. I think I think next year when we get the Emmy nominations and you've got a lot of people from True Detective near the top, whether it's uh, McConaughey, best actor, whether it's uh, the guy who played Errol as you know supporting actor, I think I think there's going to be just as many people that tune in to True Detective a year from now that there are who watch the finale, and I, I think I think that's great. Um, yeah. And I, I look forward to hearing their discussion about it. Yeah, there's uh, we've seen that kind of be the case with a lot of shows um, because now 
nowadays the good TV is not on CBS. You know, it's on a channel that people may or may not frequent. Uh, right. For you know, for this being on HBO and Breaking Bad being on AMC, you know, unless you're locked into HBO all the time, you might not have you know flipped over to check it out until you hear sufficiently enough praise, you know, or get bored enough that you go look. Uh, and then, you know, and that happened with Breaking Bad where a lot of people didn't discover it and then it was on Netflix and they got discovery through that. So, yeah, I mean, because it's just, it's not, not everything's on Channel 4, you know, like it used to be where it, every right. last person saw it and would talk about it on Monday. Right, and I, I thought it was really interesting. I heard a couple months ago that Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, he actually attributes a lot of the show's success in the final couple of seasons um, to it being on Netflix. Oh, yeah. He, he said that the ratings for season four and season five were exponentially higher than they were in seasons two and three. And he's, you know, he, he attributes that to people streaming it um, through Netflix and whatever other means. Um, yeah, that's the only I, reason I'm, I found out about it. Yeah, and... and you know, people binge watching it. You know that that's my preferred method of watching some shows these days because then you don't have to wait for the next week. I mean, I know there's a couple of shows that I watch right now where you know I, I don't know that I want to watch them as they air on on television each week because you know a lot of times when I'm binge watching them, I can't I can't stop watching at the end of the night. I, I have to watch another episode and then another episode. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think a lot of people feel that way these days. Um, you know, we we have such an ability to see things on demand uh, that it you feel like that's the way you want to do it. You know, you, you don't want to have to wait. You don't want to have to beat somebody else's schedule. Right. But you know, I gotta wonder if True Detective is, and for me, the, you know, I wonder if it's the same way for a lot of other people, perhaps you as well, that you know, this is the first show in years that I've wanted to sit down and watch the second it premiered, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I thought about it all weekend, like, okay, Sunday night, i got to be ready. Right. Um, There's not yeah, many shows I, that can make you do that. I mean, I, I can't even think of the last time I felt that way about a show. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have maybe two television shows right now, other than True Detective, where I want to watch it within the first 24 hours that it's on. You know, I, I don't want to wait. True Detective certainly one of them. Um, I watched Community on uh, NBC. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe Mad Men. I don't. I don't let Mad Men go too far without seeing it. It's been a while since it's been on, but, but yeah, no, it's points well taken. I mean, um, you know, I was mentioning a couple minutes ago that that uh, there's a show that I watch. Um, that I, I don't really want to watch it every week because I want to binge watch it because it's so good. Um, Bates Motel on A&E. And I, right. uh, I think I watched the entire first season of that. It's only 10 episodes, but uh, I watched it in the span of like two days. Within 48 hours, I watched all of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one I'll definitely try to check out at some point. That's the prequel to Psycho, right? It is, yeah, and it's it's amazing and... And, you know, I won't go too much into it, but, uh, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to that don't watch it are kind of afraid that it's too, 
you know, there's too much of an incest vibe to it because mm. of the Norman Bates and Norma Bates thing, and and that's that's really not something that that uh, takes form. But right, yeah, I look forward like six months from now talking about that show with you on this. Well, we could talk about some current incest if you like, uh, the True Detective. Uh, so uh, we're in agreement on how creepy that scene was, and yeah. you can almost. You know, one of the things that struck me is, like, in the way that they would pan around the house, you know, and him throwing the pot down towards the dog and yep. just stuff that's everywhere. It's like you could almost smell how gross it was, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I was taking notes during this thing, and, and I, I just wrote down just how nasty it was. And you could just see the fecal matter and, and you know, the, the bed that they had in the room that was before um, Errol's wife. Um, before he finds her, um, the bed just has this huge stain on it, and it, it you know, yeah. it doesn't look like a pleasant stain, if, you know, if there is such a thing. Um, I saw, I, I don't know if you saw, but uh, they had, like, air fresheners hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that. Oh, yeah, just like a bunch of those, those green tree car air fresheners just hanging from the ceiling. Hmm. And Marty still makes a face like, "Oh my God, this place just reeks." Um, something I thought was kind of interesting: um, the dog. When Marty wanted to get in the house, the dog was there barking, and and she was like trying to keep Marty out. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really telling that, you know, the dog's like barking and sniffing and scratching and stuff. And then what happens when Marty gets in and the door gets open? The dog runs. Yeah. It doesn't like, attack Marty. It goes right past Rust. Yeah. I mean, what what do you make of that? I mean, the dog wasn't trying to protect anybody. No. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it because what eventually happened was it, it went to where Errol was and then he apparently killed it. Yeah, it looks like he might have taken that... Uh, that little hatchet that he had, and took it to the head of the dog. Yeah, so I don't know if the dog was trying to escape or it was trying to go to Errol, you know? Yeah. I don't know, but you're right. I mean, it was odd. Uh, I think it's just another one of the many things to show you how screwed up the whole thing was. Yeah, because it's, it's not like he was trying to protect Errol. I mean, it's not like he was barking at anybody and, you know, like, like back the hell up. You know, it wasn't like that kind of dog where it's like, you know, viciously yep. protective of its property. It was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who these people are, but I'm going to go to the person that I know, you know, is going to be violent towards me if I don't do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he finally gets in there. Can't find a phone, uh, which I thought was a little strange. Uh, I guess he eventually found a phone. Is that how they all showed up, or? Did the sniper guy alert the police, or I mean, how, you know? I don't know, and that's that's something that I kind of wondered about. Like there in the final moments, I was kind of wondering if maybe the woman made a call. Um, yeah. but I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they showed her on the stairs near where the phone was that he had seen. Yeah, I don't know. It just. I I kind of started wondering, but I figured, okay, well, you know, maybe that's why it took Marty a little while to get there, and 
maybe he did find a phone. I I don't know. Maybe his cell phone worked all the way out in the uh, when they got to Carcosa. Right. So, <clears throat> uh, as usual, Rust you know decides to head on into the mouth of danger. Um, really stressful, like ten minutes there, where he's going through the whole thing. You you're waiting for something to jump out or him to stumble into like girls that are being held there, you know. Yeah, or something worse. Yeah. I mean, um, how creepy? So, how, good. How creepy was that uh, Carcosa, the uh, the fort or the aqueduct or whatever it was? I mean. You know, I, I've seen some creepy stuff in movies before. I've seen some creepy stuff in television shows, but something that I even wrote down as a point was that, like, you know, th- this is creepier than than um, Buffalo Bill's house in Silence of the Lambs. I mean, this is they had they had kids' shoes sitting around. They had what looked like mummified remains. I mean, yeah. this this place was uh, they did such a great job with the production of this. Oh yeah. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, that YouTube clip where they talk about the episode after it airs, um, I believe they mentioned that, you know, what you were seeing was instead of those miniature, I don't know what what they were calling them, the little... The devil traps? Yeah, instead of those... Devil snare. You know, in in a miniature form, he's now walking through it in a life-size form, you know? Yeah. No, it's... So creepy, so well done. Um, I, I'm gonna have to go out and, and watch that that stuff on YouTube because I'm sure there's tons of stuff that I missed and tons of interesting insight just like that. Yeah, well, it's and I think they eventually show those on HBO as well. I just don't know when they air right. between movies. Right. Um. Yeah. So for me it was almost like the episode was difficult to watch in a lot of ways because the first 10 minutes was so creepy and then when he's going through Carcosa I'm just I'm just stressed out you know oh yeah because I have no idea what's coming I was a little surprised that it ended up being just a straight up fight you know yeah yeah I almost expected him to like be hiding around corners and I didn't expect him to to be able to walk through that maze as long as he did. Like, I thought something would happen to him somewhere along the way, and Marty would find him half dead, get there, you know, way too late. Well, I was thinking thinking that Rust's character, you know, is built on reading people and having conversations, and this guy's there talking to him the whole way through that I thought they were going to eventually come face-to-face and talk, you know, Yeah, or that, before that they maybe, resort to violence. Yeah, do you think maybe at some point that Rust was going to call out to him and kind of respond? Like, the one, like, Errol kept saying, come on inside, little priest. Go to your right, little priest. Yeah. This is Carcosa. You know, come die with me. You know, I mean, he... He was the vocal one. I mean, you know, this guy had, you know, what, four lines of dialogue prior to this episode? Mm-hmm. And, you know, now Rust is the one that's not saying anything. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, and I, I just, I had thought all along that his his ability to, to read people and, and talk 
um, would ultimately be, you know, the weapon that they're able to use to bring down whoever they needed to bring down. Yeah. Um, which they kind of did in some ways when they had the, the sheriff deputy on the boat, but yeah. So I was, I was definitely surprised that that last scene just ended up being uh, an encounter. And then also that they both survived. Yeah. Uh, and then we had another like 10 minutes, you know? Yep. Just end. Yeah. I, um, I was kind of surprised that, uh, that Rust lived. I mean, out of the two of them, you would have you would have thought that Rust was going to be the one that died, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, it seemed like he wanted to, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think he made mention of that a couple times um, throughout the series. Is that, you know, maybe he, you know, wasn't trying to uh, live beyond completing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, um, you know, and they both saved each other's life in the. Uh, in that room there. Yep. So, uh, did you did you start to think that um, you know it was quite clear at that point that the Yellow King was was really more about just that throne and that whole room? Yeah, I, I think like, so. Maybe, maybe the kids have been brought there at some point. Yeah, and and I would almost go so far as to say that that room that they were in there at the end um, that had the Yellow King uh, throne with the you know, the flowing uh, the flowing fabric. That's probably the room where they videotaped the kids. And I don't know if maybe they would consider um, you know whoever whoever was doing the act um, to be the Yellow King at the time. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it is more like a um, a concept that you know, as opposed to uh, certainly Errol wouldn't wouldn't have been the Yellow King, and I'm not even so sure that uh, the guy that was on the tape was you know the ultimate Yellow King. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do, what do you think? Um, yeah, I I definitely thought that the throne um, was what it was about, and and then also the fact that there was that opening. You know, like the sky hole, whatever it would be. It's yeah. a, it's obviously in a pit, and probably that opening allows sunlight to come through and illuminate the throne in some way, something like that. So, I'm sure a kid, you know, all they can think of is just that it's yellow and it's a king. You know, right? right. Uh, they're not going to be able to describe it in detail. Right. Um. So. Uh. Oh yeah, and you know what else I thought was interesting is that uh, when he's going through Carcosa, I believe, I believe that's the point that I'm thinking of. Uh, Errol mentions Reggie, which would be Reggie Ledoux, and his brother DeWall, I think his name was, the other guy that they killed at the farm there. Um, and I had been thinking, like, you know, if those guys, if Reggie Ledoux and this DeWall guy were involved. And Rust and Marty killed them ten years before this. Right. Like, how did they not get hunted down, you know? Like, how did nobody come after Rust or Marty? If they right. were still all part of the same cult, you know? Yeah. So why why wouldn't have... Why wouldn't um, Errol or, I guess, one of Tuttle's guys or whoever, 
why wouldn't someone have tracked them down? That's it's a good point. Uh, that's something I hadn't yeah, really it's, considered. It's very odd, but I my only thought or like reasoning for it maybe is that they were just henchmen that had been kind of used to to gather the girls, you know, and that they weren't actually important at all. Right. To the point that like anybody would want revenge for them being killed. Yeah. Plus, plus the fact that maybe they figured, you know, they could be used as patsies, essentially, you know, say, oh, okay, well, everybody thinks it was them. Then we can just continue what we're doing. Right. But anyway, I thought it was it was odd to me that he mentioned them specifically. So he clearly knew that Rustin Marty had done it um, and was thinking about them and maybe expected to see them someday, you know? Right. Right, and you kind of have to wonder, um, you know, he he saw Rust. I guess he didn't see Marty, but he saw Rust uh, when he was cutting the grass at uh, at that school that ended up being one of the layers or yeah, one of the temples or shrines or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. Uh, he, you know, they came face to face. Which is the um, exact moment they decide to go after Reggie Ledoux. Right, right. And you would think that maybe Errol would mention that to somebody or would put you know two and two together. But maybe he's just such a sick guy with such a, a low intelligence that maybe he just maybe he just didn't didn't care, just didn't think about it, like. Are they able to continue their raping and killing? Are they able to, you know, once a month or every other month or whatever, are they able to do whatever they want to do? Are they being stopped by anybody? Not really. So, you know, maybe, you know, they took out Reggie Ledoux. Reggie Ledoux? Yeah. Reggie Ledoux did this? But, you know, Marty and Russ didn't really stop them from doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's probably the ultimate answer is that he he saw them as just some joke cops poking around, and so what if they killed Reggie? It's like he's still got this whole fortress that nobody has any clue exists. Right. And he can still do what he wants. Right. It's kind of scary to think about, you know, like there are areas like that that are just virtually lawless, you know, it's like nobody's going into somebody's property to investigate what the heck they're doing down there. Oh no. I mean, you got a couple acres, couple hundred, couple hundred acres of land. Yeah. You're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as a kid, my grandparents had like an acre and a third and it was like, it seemed like a huge property to me. You know I mean? Yeah. You'd be standing on the back of the property and you could see the road but you yelled to somebody that was up near the road, they probably wouldn't hear you. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, now let's get to let's get to the end. Um, they save each other's life, and, and somehow the police are able to get to them before they bleed out. Yeah, I'm not sure um, quite how, but... Yeah, it's just not... Not that important, but, you know, yeah. you, it kind of left you wondering whether they were going to make it out, and they did, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, 
I had expected that Russ was going to be dead, but he made it. Um, and you get to see them kind of talk again, you know, that they're, that they're actually somewhat buds. <laughs> no, I think they call each other friends and buddy and... Yeah. So what did you think of kind of really how they wrapped it up with the, phil- the phil- philosophical uh, statements that Rust was making, talking about how he, I guess he was trying to say that, you know, he was touching the afterlife. Uh, and, that, and that he actually uh, wanted to go. Yeah. You know, I, I thought I thought it was a really weird moment because the whole show, you kind of see Rust as this guy who um, has rejected religion, not on terms of whether or not he thinks it's true, but just in the fact that he doesn't seem to feel like he needs religion. Mm-hmm. And then near the end, when he's kind of opening up and talking about the darkness and the deeper darkness and his dad and his daughter and feeling their love come through, it was almost like he was talking about his own type of religion. I mean, it was... Yeah. I mean, did you get that sense that it was almost like a religious moment for him? Yeah, uh, definitely. And to me, yeah, it was it was an interesting uh, character uh, growth, you know, because he's gone from, as you were saying, a kind of guy that seemed to have his own outlook on everything and wasn't prone to follow any religion or anything like that. Um, but you know, at this point he finally felt that there was something bigger than him and, you know, that it might not actually be all bad, you know? Right. That there was actually love there. Uh, so, yeah, and, and just the kind of the imagery of him being in a wheelchair and crying and all that, it's like he was he was the strong character, you know? He was the one that didn't have a chick in his armor, really. Right. And, uh, you know, he was broken and beaten down at the end. Yeah, but and, then ultimately and, all that broken and beaten down led to him having an optimistic outlook. Right. And it, it was, like you said, it was it was character growth from Rust Cole. Yeah. Um, you had this really complicated guy who was kind of set into his philosophies and, you know, really smart and was kind of the lead guy the whole way. And he kind of has this awakening, this this broadening, this uh, this I don't know, like an, an emotional softening to him. Um, mm-hmm. And from that perspective, I'm kind of sad that we won't see the character again, at least for uh, the span of one more season. I mean, maybe they'll, you know, go back to these two um, in season three. You know, maybe there will be enough. Uh, of an outcry for them to come back. Um, yeah. But I feel like the only way we might eventually see them again is if if they do a movie. Yeah, I can um, see that. Because there's so much, the, the money is so much bigger in movies uh, that they could really rake it in if they made a movie with these two. Yeah, and, and quite honestly, I, I think the dynamic between the two would be different than what we saw through the majority of the episodes during this season, um, I wrote down a note 
that uh, that they kind of felt like grumpy old men, you know, like uh, Mathau and Lemon. Uh, I don't know if you saw those movies back in the day, but, uh, you know, they they were flicking each other off and kind of, you know, cutting at each other, but it was like, it was in a nice way. It was like joking around, like, you know, these guys really like each other, you know? Yeah, and then also, and also like the scene in the car when Marty's asking him if he was holding back during their fight. Yeah. That's the kind of thing two two old dudes would talk about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, so um, it was a surprising way to wrap it up for me, although, you know, at this point, looking back, I'm, you know, and of course we're less than a couple hours from having seen it, so our thoughts might change over time, but uh, I'm glad it ended with just the two of them uh, and the fact that it was just, it was outside in a, in a parking lot, there's nobody else there, you know, it's like, there's no distractions. Yeah. Right. Um. And, you know, but I thought they might touch a little more on the whole time as the flat circle thing that had been pushed around because as we led into this last episode, I was thinking really what the show is ultimately about is is cycles of behavior. Um, and they did touch on that in several spots in the last episode. And by that I mean, like, in particular, child abuse. Um uh, you know, you hear the stories all the time that someone who the abu- the abuser, you know, that that we that we hear about on the news often, you find out that he was abused or she was abused, right, when they were a child. And it's clear that that's what happened with Errol and his half sister. You know. Yep. Uh, they was... were both abused. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, those those two didn't get to where they are just because their family wanted to involve them in some sort of ritual that they that they were doing you know i mean mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't just like they said hey errol we're you know we're going to take you out into the woods and and let you have your way with whoever um, and then further to that you know things like marty cheating and being promiscuous uh, in turn his daughter does the same thing right you know and it, and kind of just the entire philosophy that Rust had been pushing, you know, that everything we've done we'll do again. You know, and so I just, I really thought that that's where it was going to go. Ultimately, it was just a commentary on how we can't change, you know, how things just keep repeating. Um, But then they, you know, the car scene really started to change that for me when he starts talking about how people have a choice, you know. Right. He's like, he was, even though he could have just said that, um, you know, it was Maggie's fault that that he banged her, you know, and all this. He he still admitted everybody has a choice, you know, that yeah, ultimately he did choose to do it. Yeah, he he admitted that. He also admitted that, uh, you know, part of the reason that Maggie involved him was because of what uh, Marty had done. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it was like, it's like yin and yang, right? Yeah. I mean, action, reaction, things like that. Yeah, and and I caught I caught a line, and you know, if if we were able to do this, you know, after giving some time to watch the episode a second time, I'd probably note more about the scene and who said it and things of that nature. But there was a line 
where it says, uh, Ascension removes me from the disk and the loop. As if to say, things happen over and over and over again. Wait, who, who said that? Um, I believe it was Errol. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like something he was saying. And I think it holds true um, for uh, Rust and Marty from the perspective of they got closure with each other. They got closure on the case. Marty came back so that he could get out of the loop. You know, I mean, he he was stuck in this loop, you know, whether it was with uh, Alexandra D'Addario's character, Lisa, or whether it was with Beth. You know, he was stuck in this loop of not being fulfilled and whether it was at home or his job or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So now that they got this closure with this case, he can be right with himself again. That's how he got the ascension. He gets to get out of the loop in the disc. Yeah, yeah, there's probably something to that. Um, and I also think that, you know, I, if, if I recall correctly, after they got Ledoux, he was saying or implying that it didn't feel like they had really accomplished anything. Right. Um, because, you know, it was just going to continue in other ways. Um, and then you saw that again now, you know, where they got, uh, they got Errol or the Yellow King or whoever he wanted to call it, um, but he's saying, you know, there's other guys out there. Yeah. But it was different this time. You get the feeling that whereas the first time with Ledoux, he felt resigned and that he didn't want to keep trying. But now it's like he thinks that they actually did make a difference and that, you know, because of the experience he had when he was, you know, in the coma and all that. Uh, and that the light is winning, you know, is kind of the last line that he, that they shared, you know. And so, I, yeah, I feel like it does show some sort of growth where they're exiting the cycle and, and thinking that they're actually going to improve things, you know. Yeah, and I, I think what you just mentioned about the very last line of the season um, really holds true. I mean, when you when you look at the earliest episodes, um, they're both very dark characters. I mean, they're they're trying to do good, they're trying to be good people, they're trying to be good detectives, they're trying to be on the the side of the law. Um, you know, Rust. Yeah, he doesn't seem to believe that there's a lot of good in mankind. I mean, he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't believe in marriage. He doesn't believe in like love between two people. But by the end of the se- by the end of the series, you know, Marty is kind of like, you know, hey, we did this great thing, and you know, you're making progress. And I love the the final conversation that they have, where, you know, they talk about this being the oldest story about light versus dark, and how yeah. dark has more territory. And Marty seems to say, well, you know, that's kind of a, you know, like a negative way to look at it. But then Rust being Rust says um, that he feels like like light is winning. Yeah. He, he says, once there was only dark, and if you ask me, 
light is winning. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, a, that was a really cool way to wrap it up because, yeah, I mean, the whole show has really been this kind of meta conversation about the state of existence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, as you said, Rust's kind of theories on that were always focused on, you know, that we shouldn't be here, that we developed this ability to reason. That should never have happened. There was a, a glitch in nature. Um, and so, yeah, you get the sense that he wishes we could all just disappear, you know? Yep. And have this whole thing end. Uh, and then, yeah, at the very end there, having that experience pushes him in a completely different direction. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, you, you can apply that. I think a lot of people could apply that to their own lives. You, you, you get into situations where you feel like, you know, you're stuck and, you know, things aren't ever going to get better or whatever. Um, and, you know, something's, you just need something like that, something to push you to, to realize that things can get better, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I think in society as a whole right now with the whole, you know, the economy, and, you know, there's a lot of negative things floating out there. Sure. And so they're probably trying to imply that, yeah, you know, there's a lot of crap, but it's getting better, you know. Right. It's it's a very hopeful ending, and yeah. um, I'm not sure how exactly uh, Pizzolatto is planning to uh, do season two. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, in in a different episode of this podcast, we can speculate as to you know who the actors or actresses might be, um, things yep. of that nature, but. Uh, He's going to have to work really hard um, to craft a story that's as deep and philosophical and as entertaining and intriguing as what he did with this first season, because it's amazing. Um, I don't I don't buy too many shows on DVD, and the ones I do tend to be comedies. Um, but I'll certainly be buying this season, and it's it's not just because it's one big storyline arc that's start and finish and that you can dive into because yeah. of the quality and the message that it, it preaches. Yeah, you do wonder how they're going to be able to live up to this because clearly the acting performances are some of the best we've ever seen. Uh, Absolutely. So that's going to be really difficult because you're going to have to find somebody that's even willing to try to live up to it. I think some of your best actors might look at it and be like, yeah, I don't want to there's just no way we can measure up. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the fact that the themes of the show or of this season were so big, you know, that would another season that's about something more narrow even, would it would it just feel cheap compared to this first season because it's so grand in scope, you know? It's like a universal commentary on humanity. It's like, what can you what can you make as the theme of the next season to, to match up to that? Right. It's it's hard to find anyone who can't emotionally attach to the idea that violence against women and children, uh, physical, emotional, and sexual violence and abuse, um, it's it's it would be it would be hard to find someone who 
couldn't emotionally attach with the fact that those are horrible things. Yeah. So I'm not sure how you go about finding another theme unless you stick with the same theme, and I don't know if that somehow cheapens things or what he could do. Um, I did. I did just finish reading his novel, Galveston, mm-hmm. and he's de- he's definitely a talented story, you know, storyteller. Um, there are a lot of things that he did in that book that he did in True Detective. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he can if he can come up with a second season that's you know just as intriguing. Um, yeah, I mean, I figure he's got plans, you know. Yeah. Uh, most writers aren't going to just have one season in their head. He's probably got multiple ideas. Yeah. Although I do wonder if this got bigger than he anticipated, you know. Yeah, perhaps. And that, that might force him to kind of, like, rethink if he needs to take season two in a different direction or something like that. Yeah, I was kind of curious there when... when um, when Marty is first talking to Cole in the hospital room, Cole is awake and Marty's in the wheelchair sipping out of his cup and was like, hey, I, you know, I was going to leave, but you woke up. I believe that's when Rust said, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. And it kind of made me wonder, you know, I think there were a couple times during the series where there was a line of dialogue that, that had more to do than just the fiction that we were watching. Um, there was a part where uh, where Marty goes into the strip club looking for um, a woman who could help him link to Ledoux, and he goes up to the bartender and is trying to get information, and he's being kind of, you know, whatever about it. And Marty says to him, he says, why are you making me say these things? Like, you know, why, why are you making me say this shit? Yeah, and the bartender is actually Nick Pizzolatto yeah. in a cameo, and so he's kind of saying right to the director or to to the writer, um, you know, hey, you're you're making me say this. Um, but the reason yeah. I mention that is because when Rust says I'm not supposed to be here, I almost wondered in my well, I guess I I did wonder in my head, is it possible that this show got so popular that Nick decided, okay, I'm not going to kill Rust. I'm going to let him live because we might need these two again in season three or season four for another storyline. Yes, it's certainly possible. I just wonder when they would have filmed. I mean, I would have thought that most of it would be in the can before before it premiered. Um, I, I can't remember which magazine it was. It was either Entertainment Weekly or... Uh, Esquire magazine. I was reading a, an interview that someone did with uh, Pizzolatto, and I, I apologize if I'm botching his last name, but he mentioned that they had just filmed, um, I guess it would have had to have been the tape that that Rust shows Marty of, yeah. you know, the yellow, the, uh, the ritual with the Yellow King. Um, mm. And he talks about how he had just finished filming that and how they hated filming it and it was such a vile thing to have to film but that they had to film it for something that was coming up in the episode that we were about to see um, 
or you know, by the time the interview was going to air. So you have to figure if this magazine is interviewing him, they have to have known that the that the series was at least a little popular. Yeah, well, that and they also did take uh, a couple weeks off between episodes four and five. Was it? Um, I could check. I think they did take a, a little time off. So yeah, maybe they were still filming a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I'd be surprised if that was the case if they changed the ending. But uh, either way, I'm glad he's still alive because it's certainly going to be fun to you know speculate on whether they show back up again. Yep, it was between episodes three and four. I think that's what you had said. That's uh, they took a little little bit of a longer break. Um, yeah, they were going every week. Uh, what when was the Super Bowl? Was that? Yeah, that might be what they skipped the night yeah. of the Super Bowl. They didn't have one. Yeah, but they they would have known they would have known that they would have that break. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was certainly uh, interesting. You have to wonder if if maybe they're gonna revisit them. But that's I I know uh, you know we don't want to make every episode of this podcast about True Detective. Obviously, we we can't. If we're gonna do this, you know, with any kind of frequency, but uh, either next time we meet or time after that, I would I would definitely like to, to look at some of the uh, some of the things that people speculated about throughout the series that um, we left hanging, you know, the red herring, yeah, um, some of the things that we're kind of left to wonder about. And, yeah, uh, overall, I think I was greatly. Uh, satisfied that so many of the theories were just a complete waste of time. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I, like anyone, I'll, I'll go online and I'll read, but thankfully I didn't try to participate in any of these theory discussions, and they were truly kind of outrageous. Uh, you know, like there's a there's a picture of McConaughey driving, and there happens to be a crown on a billboard behind him. Right. Right. It's like, oh, it signifies he's the Yellow King. You know, it's just all these little things that people are trying to. You know, it's just like, all right, doesn't have yeah, to be connected. Yeah, there were there were certainly a handful of things that led people to think that Rust was the Yellow King. There were, you know, just as many things to say Marty was. Um, yeah. <laughs> there were some people who thought that Maggie was the Yellow King. Why not? Um, apparently, somehow this woman was. You know, raping people, and you know that she had involved her kids in it, and and that her father was part of it, and you know some of that, some of that might, uh, you know, the the part about her father might come into play a little bit in a future season, but it just shows you that you know everyone had their own theory about what all was going on. Some people were expecting things to go sci-fi. Whatever. Specifically with that father stuff, you know, it's like, yeah, he may be, he may have been involved, you know. Yeah. But we don't need to find out. It doesn't really matter if we find out. Right. Uh, the idea is, you're showing, you know, what things are like, you know. So you're, you're seeing what her family life is like, and this is a rich Southern guy uh, that could represent many rich Southern guys. Uh, that may be involved in something illicit like this. Right, and 
it, it it's all about you know character development and you know interpersonal relationships. I mean, what's what's to say that that something didn't happen with the daughter? Um, you know, that was I, I know one of the red herrings that was that the daughter set up her dolls and something of a little rape scene or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's to say that uh, something didn't happen with the grandfather or something didn't happen completely unrelated to the grandfather? What's to say that, that this girl didn't have a bad experience in her life that had nothing to do with the Yellow King? I mean, not all rapists yeah. are the Yellow King. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Plus, you know, when she was drawing, you know, the pictures of uh, organs and everything. Um, right. When they asked her, like, how she knows about it, she said some kids at school told her. Yeah. So, I mean, that might just be the answer right there, that she just heard stories and drew them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's... It doesn't have to be much more complicated. Right. And there's some red herring like that that, you know, we could look into and, and talk a little bit about. Um, there's also the fact that, you know, I, I've gone back and watched the first episode. Um, I went back and watched it uh, a week or two ago. It starts out with a tree in the middle of a field and fire. And you see somebody kind of dragging somebody away. We don't know anything about what that's all about. And yeah. there are a couple other things like that throughout the series that I think once we watch it again, knowing what we know, um, I think there will be some interesting things to, to kind of speculate about. And wasn't that tree the final in the final shot too? I think it was, yeah, because I was expecting uh, you know a fire to start burning or to see some smoke coming up or yeah. something like that. And you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't the greatest student back in high school or college when it came to uh, English classes, so I'm sure I didn't pick up on all the symbolism. You know, I, right. I saw the Great Gatsby movie and I still just barely caught the whole green light thing. Um, yeah, so and sure I, th I think that's important for listeners to uh, to note about us is that we don't profess to be any sort of experts in anything. Right. All all we're professing is that we. Uh, we enjoy talking about uh, things that we enjoy. Uh, yeah. We uh, we'd like to invite people to join the discussion through the Facebook page, through Twitter at Guys Nation. Um, you know there will certain certainly be some things on the website guysnation.com. Yeah, um, and I guess we'll try to put out an episode weekly as we uh, are able to schedule. Yeah. And. Uh, what do you think we might talk about next time? What What's on tap for uh, the pop culture version of Guys Nation podcasting? Um, well, one of the things that uh, that I've always wanted to, to kind of talk about um, in a podcast, um, some movie content. Um, I know you and I don't always see the same movies every week. We don't always see the same movies every month. Uh, we don't always see the, the newest movies that hit theater. Um, but... I think sometimes it's interesting to discuss the movies that we've seen recently and the things that we become aware of because it's not just the movies that are hitting theater that uh, theater box offices that are worth seeing. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who probably haven't seen 
some of the movies that I've already seen this year, and sure. most of those movies didn't come out in the past three years. There's not enough time in the day to see every movie that comes out, so yeah, we all end up seeing certain movies years after they come out. Yep. Are, are, is there any uh, any topics that uh, that you kind of fancy that you might want to talk about next time around? No, uh, movies movies is good. Uh, maybe some music. I don't know. Yeah, I've I've come into. Uh, a couple of new bands that I've listened to recently and uh, a couple of artists who haven't put out a lot that I've heard in a year or two, and I've got, gotten into that a little bit. I don't, I don't know how you are on Paramore, but they put out a song recently that uh, I kind of get stuck in my head. Good stuff, yeah. I <laughs> Funny story. Uh, you know, with a female singer, you know, sometimes it can be awkward being a guy and listening to something like that because can't necessarily sing along to it. Right. Uh, so I just got a car recently, and uh, when you get a new car, and it, especially if if you're trading in your old one, you got to move. <laughs> you got to move the stuff from the old one to the new one, right? Right. Uh, so you know, I, I got everything out of there, so I thought, um, but apparently, I left a CD in my CD player. <laughs> Yeah, from the old car, and so the, the uh, salesman was actually a girl. Uh, she she had moved the CD into the new car, and so you know, as I'm leaving after I'd all paid, you know, signed all the paperwork for three hours and everything, we get in the car so that she can like point out a few things that I need to know before I leave. Right. Turn on the car, and the CD fires up. And at first, I thought it was just the radio because I hadn't really listened to it in a long time, so I didn't—I forgot what was on it. Right. And it's Avril Lavigne. Oh, nice. So nice. You know, the sales girl thinks that I'm just like driving around listening to Avril Lavigne all the time. Yeah. Because that's so, so uh, fired up. She asked for your number. She's like, "Oh, this guy's in touch with his uh, no, with his uh, feminine side." And how about this? I wouldn't give it to her. No. 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 Okay. No, not that exciting. I'll just be certainly careful. Not, certainly not when we sat down uh, while we were waiting for the finance manager and she explained uh, about her kids. Oh, right, right, <laughs> right. So not, I'm not too tempted by that yeah. one. No, that's, that's a valid reason not to uh, not want to give a woman your number is that she's probably married and she's got kids. Yeah, no, no I think she's not married anymore, but... Uh, uh, Okay. Suffice to say, you know, I'm not really. That's I got enough to take care of with this cat. I'm not trying to take care of some other dude's kids. Right. Right. Sorry that's, if that makes me a big misogynist or something. No, and any anybody out anybody out there who might hear you say that and might say, oh, you know, what a, what a comment to make. Uh, you know, I, I I've got a little bit of experience with that kind of a situation uh, from a couple of different perspectives. I'm not going to go into that, obviously, but uh, it's a big responsibility, and uh, I think I think single women realize that, and so I, I don't think you come off as terrible as as some people might think for saying that. And anybody yeah. who does think that probably shouldn't listen to our podcast. Well, for sure, I don't really care. Right, right, right. But um, no, I mean, I, I think maybe if I were older and had my own kids already, it would be one thing. Yeah, but. 
you know, I'd like to have my own someday. I don't necessarily want to just pass up that possibility. Right, right. So, which is what would happen if somebody had already had a few of their own and not looking to have any more. So, I need to find someone that's uh, looking to have some. Yep, that's the that's uh, that's that rings true with the experience that I've that I've witnessed. Yeah. In out in the world. So yeah, we can have it a we can have a male middle-aged male problem show at some point too. Yeah, and and speaking of. I think my of, back hurt this morning. What's that? I think my back hurt this morning, for instance. No, don't even get me started on that. I, it's every morning I wake up and it's hard to get out of bed. <laughs> in fact, I, I took a rare mid-afternoon shower today, and I uh, came back into the room and fell back onto the bed. I was only laying down for like two minutes. Trouble getting up. Nice. But uh, well, you know what you need to do. You need to do that uh, DDP yoga video. He's got a wake up video where that he shows you a couple things to do in bed before you get out. You know, I actually have DDP yoga. Yep. Sounds like you have DDP yoga. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking maybe we should both try DDP yoga and uh, see how it goes? Probably not a bad idea. Nice. And uh, I could stand to be. You know, in some shape, considering I'm currently in no shape at all. Uh, I'm in a shape, and it's round. Yeah. And, you know, for as as much fun as it's been taking the keg to the party, it might be nice to settle down with a nice six-pack. There I'm you saying. go. And, you know, you're talking about uh, finding a woman with whom to make babies, and you're talking about getting flexible. That, sure. that just that just uh, that makes me think uh, think back. Would you say the highlight of True Detective, for all its great scenes, for all its great characters, Alexandria Alexandra Daddario? Yeah. Oh, just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, literally absurd. That just shouldn't even be possible. What I she's mean, got going on. She was in the show Parenthood. She was. Crazy Hot in Texas Chainsaw 3D. Mm-hmm. She's been in the early season of White Collar. I might She's have to go buy a 3D things. TV just to watch that movie. She's done a lot of things. But we applaud Alexandra D'Addario for her efforts in True Detective. Yeah, you know, and it really, really should uh, be highlighted that, you know, we got to be so thankful for her to make such a decision before she's gone over the hill. Oh, yeah. Because so many of them will wait until they're in their 40s to go ahead and, and do something like that. Right. And, and she just showed it to us at her absolute prime. At her peak? Mm-hmm. Did you say peak? Sure. Yeah. No, I... Uh... And you know, I think that, that that also speaks a lot to the uh, to the quality of True Detective. Yeah. Is that uh, you know a, a nice, nice talented young actress like that is willing to take that next step in her uh, in her career. And you know, that's the move these days with all these shows is that they get somebody naked in the first couple episodes so that you reel in even more viewers. Right. Right, like uh, I've only seen the first couple episodes of um, Game of Thrones. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. 
Um, Speaking of binge watching, how could you possibly only watch a couple of those? Well, that's uh, that's the show that I binged the fastest, probably. Yeah. Like the final, I saw the final episode after I had just watched the six before it, and I had, oh, nice. I had sat down intending only to watch one or two, and then I just Very watched nice. like seven in a row. Yeah, and that's that's one show that I've heard they do that where they just give you. Uh, some some explicitness in the first episode or two, yep. and then it, it's significantly decreased after that. And the Tudors was also one that did that. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a show we're going to have to get into. You should try to catch up before season four premieres. What, the Tudors? No, Game of Thrones. Okay, I was about to say, I thought the Tudors was done. Yeah, it's done, and probably not worth discussing on a podcast. Okay, excellent. It was, you know... I watched half, two of, half as good as Game of Thrones. I watched two episodes of that just long enough to see uh, what um, Henry Cavill could do because he hadn't mm. been in Superman yet at that point. And I didn't have enough interest in watching the show after watching them play indoor badminton. Yeah. Watching. you got to really enjoy period pieces and that, that kind of time frame to watch that show. Yeah, and I really don't like period pieces, which is why I haven't been able to get into Game of Thrones. But well, that's not a really a period piece, but yeah, it's more of a fantasy, right? Yeah, because where I've gotten so far, it's not not necessarily delved into the fantasy realm yet. What you need to do, obviously, is watch it. Uh, but you have to get to a certain point where you start to learn more about a couple characters in particular, okay. and then you'll just you'll watch the show because you want to see what that person is going to do. Okay. Because some of them are, a couple of them are just phenomenal characters. Now, for the people out there who are listening, you know, all seven of them, um, who have probably seen all the same episodes you have, who are the characters? What are the names of the people who really interest you? Uh, oh, my God. Why am I... Uh... Oh, crap. I might have to look up his name. The, the short guy, the Dinklage? Peter Dinklage. Yeah, I, was it Tyrion, I think is his name in the show? Yeah, Tyrion. Tyrion uh, Lannister, they say. Yeah, he's absolutely the star. Okay. Um, in fact, you shouldn't look at the... Uh, you shouldn't look at the IMDb. Okay. Because... Oh, the episode it, It'll numbers. tell you the number of episodes characters are in, and you don't want to know that. Right. Um, some, with some of that, I just assume that but they do different storyline arcs and that uh, people just aren't highlighted that's, in those. That's part of it. There are certain episodes where someone's just not in it, and then yeah. there are some characters that don't make it very long. Uh, so, Yeah, and, and that's, that's and part that's of why... Part of the greatness of the show is that they're not afraid to make big moves like that. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that about this show. Like, I've, I've heard some of the people that have gotten killed, like... You know, if, if you watch a show and a new episode comes on and something huge happens, you want to avoid Twitter and Facebook and avoid conversations around the water cooler. But if you're not watching a show, you don't know to avoid those kind of things. Yeah. So I've heard some things already. Um, That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Lena Headey? I don't know how you would pronounce that because she's Headley really British. Uh, is that is that Dinklage's wife? No. Cersei? Sister. Lannister? Okay. She They're was, all family. There's a 
bunch of Lannisters. Okay. She was awesome in uh, the remake of Judge Dredd, that, that Dredd 3D movie that, that came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal movie. I don't. I almost didn't didn't want to you know watch it because I didn't really have any link to the character and it's a remake of a not so great Stallone film. Um, the remake is awesome. Yeah. So well, I'm just gonna throw just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, you should try to catch up. Uh, I think you got about a month before season four begins. Yeah, okay. April second. Or wait. Uh, yeah, April 6th, so, yeah, about a month. Okay. <laughs> if you can pull that off, that'd be great, because uh, the level of fervor is going to be equal or greater than True Detective has been. People are going right. to be quite excited about it. And uh, April 6th, is that, maybe I'm mistaken, uh, WrestleMania 30? Oh, boy. Yeah. Great uh, night premiere. Yep, premieres same night as WrestleMania 30, and that is the end of the weekend of my son's fourth birthday. Mm. So, so if I don't catch up uh, earlier in that week, then uh, yeah, might be hard. But right on. Well, I think we've uh, go, I so. think we've probably covered enough for the inaugural episode. Yeah, I, I think someone should hit the uh, the theme song to. Um, Game of Thrones, and we yeah. should roll off onto the, into the sunset and tell people to check out our RSS feed, check us out on iTunes, check us out all over the web. Keep yep. listening. Guys Nation Twitter, keep you updated on uh, stuff we might talk about and everything else going on on the site. Yep, lots of, uh, lots of interesting stuff on that Twitter. We have an intern who goes crazy sometimes, and lots of beautiful women. If you're into that kind of thing, lots of other discussion. It's good times. All right. Well, I'll see you next time. Later.